welcome to Bible Center Church. I'm Matt Friend, the senior pastor. It's great having you with us. Those of you who call Bible Center Church your home, those of you who are brand new to us, and those of you who are joining us online, it's awesome having you uh, here today with us. Uh, if you have friends that you'd like to invite to Bible Center, I hope you invite them to set with you in your service. But if they would be more interested in the multi-generational service, we have that every Sunday at 9 a.m. as well. Uh, we love what the Lord is doing. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, and we'll dive in there in just a moment. While you're turning there, I want to ask you to join me in prayer for uh, Pastor Sean Thornton, his wife Leslie. Uh, John Thornton still lives there in the area, out just outside of L.A., the Thousand Oaks area is where their church is. It's where they live. Pastor Sean was here for over 11 years as our senior pastor, one of those caring people, uh, one of those caring pastors you could ever meet. And as you know what happened this past week, the shooting in Thousand Oaks, uh, the young lady from their church was one of the victims who lost their life. Uh, she left the church on Wednesday night. There was a youth activity. Uh, she was helping serve there. Pastor John knew her, uh, worked on his staff there at the church. And so you can just imagine what this community is feeling, what this church is feeling. Uh, so pray for the Sparks family and for all the victims' families. There's still a number in the hospital recovering. And so we want to pray for Calvary Community Church, Pastor Sean Thornton and his family, but also because of the wildfires. Uh, they're not having church this morning because the fire is so close. They had to literally cancel services. And, and so if you'll remember them with me in a moment after we read the scriptures, I'm going to pray. And Pastor John's going to be down front after the service. And so if you have questions about how maybe you can encourage Pastor Sean out in California or his church, we're really just waiting to see uh, what we can do. He told John last night that he hasn't felt like this since 9-11. Uh, this is a really, really big deal, and we want to pray for them together. Let's read our text. Please stand with me out of respect for the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. I read from the NIV. Feel free to follow along, and the words will also be on the screen. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives in inapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this beautiful passage today. And as we dig in over the next few minutes, open up, illuminate your word in our minds, in our hearts. Help us to believe your truth. Lord, I ask right now for Pastor Sean and Leslie and their family, for their church family at Calvary Community Church. God, would you help them right now as they grieve? Well, not just today, not just tomorrow, but in the weeks, months, and years to come. Help them as they grieve. Father, I pray that in the middle of their grief, as they try to care for hurting people in their church who've already had their homes uh, burnt, 
down. We pray for those who are, are fearful of that even today. I pray you would protect them. But Lord, we ask that you would use this church to be salt and light in a very, very dark time. Help us to help them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today, I want to begin by telling you the story about this particular quote from Winston Churchill. Never, never, never give up. The story goes that he was invited to preach or speak at his alma mater, the Harrow or Harrow School. Uh, he got up to give his speech, wondering exactly what he was going to say. He had jotted a few notes down. He stumbled with his cane to the platform, and instead of giving the speech in the time limit that he had been allotted, he simply said these five words in the accent and in the way that only Winston Churchill could say. He said to these graduates, never, never, never give up. He put his paper back into his pocket, grabbed his cane, and shuffled back to his seat. And it said that those five words at that graduation speech propelled, inspired people to change the world. Now, that is a beautiful story. Hope you like that story. I like that story. The problem with that story is it's not true. <laughs> it's actually not entirely true anyway. It's one of those legends that's just kind of snowballed over the years. It is true that Winston Churchill spoke at his alma mater, uh, but he spoke much more than five words. You can read his entire transcript online. He spoke on October the 29th, 1941, and I picked out a particular paragraph that struck me this week. He says, never give in, never give in. Never, 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 never in nothing, great or small, large or petty, Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. And over the years, that quote has been summarized or condensed into never, never, never give up. There's a possibility that he spoke those five words in parliament or on other occasions, but whether he did or not, those are still really, really good words. So I want to start by asking you a question. How many of you this past week had an unusually difficult week? Did anybody have an unusually hard week this week? Okay, a few of you had a hard week. How many of you say this year, 2018 so far, has been an unusually hard year? Anybody at all? Okay, good. Almost half, maybe a little over a third to a half. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been tempted to give up. Maybe you're tempted to give up on God, on a friend, on your spouse, on a child, on a goal, on a career, on a prayer, on your health, or on life itself. This morning as I was getting ready for this message, uh, I didn't hear a voice, I didn't see words written on the wall, but the Lord really spoke to my heart. As if there's going to be people today, there's going to be somebody today in this service, and you really need this message. You know what you felt last night. You know what you felt this past week. And you and only you know the temptations that you're experiencing to give up on some part of your life. And so I'm praying that the next few minutes would help you and challenge you and inspire you in the faith. Maybe you're a single mom and life is hard. And today I'm praying that you won't give up. You're a student and school is hard. I'm praying that you won't give up. 
Maybe you're a student and school is the least hard thing in your life. There's family trouble. There's problems at home. There's burdens. There's stress. I'm praying you won't give up. I'm, for your, maybe you're a senior saint and life is changing so fast. I'm praying that you won't give up. Maybe you're a committed Christian. You've been a Christian for a long time, but it's really hard to continue being a committed Christian. I'm praying that you won't give up. Maybe you're a new Christian, and you think, man, this is a lot harder than I thought. Jesus said, take up your cross. I didn't think you actually meant it. I'm praying that you will not give up. And today, if you're a skeptic or you're a seeker and, and you have some questions, you're not sure if you buy into the whole Jesus thing, you're trying to buy in, you're trying to believe it, you're trying to make sense of it, but it's just getting really, really hard, I'm praying that you won't give up and that you continue to lean in, seek for truth, and ask God to open your heart. Somebody asked me a while back, what is the one thing that you've noticed in West Virginia since you've moved back from Kentucky? It's hard to believe it's been two and a half years ago, but the one thing I've noticed more than anything else is that it, I don't remember it being this way when I was here before. I grew up here. I was born in Charleston, but it seems that so many people, maybe more than I ever remember, are tempted to give up. What happens if we get up, give up too early? I've heard that sometimes the greatest breakthroughs are about to happen the moment we're about to give up. This cartoon explains what that could be like. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the guy on the bottom and, and you say, man, I'm just ready to give up. I wanted today to encourage you to continue pressing forward. In the next few minutes, we're going to answer two questions. How do we resist the urge to give up? And why do we resist the urge to give up? How do we resist the urge to give up? And why do we resist the urge to give up? The message is going to move quickly. I'm going to encourage you to take notes and pray that some part of it was meant just for you. Number one, how can I resist the urge to give up? Well, first of all, run from bad influences. Run from bad influences. Verse 11. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. Flee from all this. The word for man does not mean male. In this particular passage, the word man is anthropos. Like we get the word anthropology. It means humanity, man or woman. I have daughters, so I'm a little more sensitive to this than I used to be. If you're a man or a woman and you follow Jesus, you belong to God. This, these words are for you. He says, flee from all of this. Continually flee. Run from this. Run from what? Well, the 10 verses prior in chapter 6, he gives us a whole list of things to run from. He says, run from controversy. Run from arguments that'll just spin you round and round and ultimately make you look stupid in the end. He says, run from conflict if it's unnecessary conflict. Run from word battles. Run from greed. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, later on, he's going to tell Timothy, flee youthful lusts. So essentially, any area where you're tempted to sin, he calls us to run from that area. Sometimes the smartest way to fight is to run. There's a difference between immaturity and weakness. We all have weaknesses, but a mature person knows their weaknesses. So we, it's not wrong for us to say, I'm weak in that area. I want to run away before I'm tempted to do something I'm going to regret. I remember being in Philly 
about 13 years ago, our youngest daughter was either about to be born or she had just been born. And I had our oldest daughter, Katie, who was three at the time. We were in Philly. I was preaching at a church. I preached a youth rally on a Saturday night. I preached on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And the next Monday morning, we were going to get up early and drive back to Charleston. And so we got up at like 2 or 3 in the morning. Caitlin's in her pajamas, and, and I go out, and I load up the car, and I wait until I think we were staying at the pastor's house or the house that they had provided. I got the car all loaded up, and I was going to get her up last because she was asleep. So I go in, and I wake, scoop her up, and put her on my shoulder, and I come down the stairs. I'd already made several trips. And there were these two men, 2 or 3 in the morning, downtown Philly, uh, that approached me. It wasn't like they just hollered and waved. They were coming at me. They got within about an arm and a half's length as I'm trying to hurry and get her in the car. And they said, hey, you got something for us. Well, I'm holding my little girl, right? Like, I want to love people. I want to be a pastor. I want to be nice. But I got my little girl. And so I throw her in the car. I had the back hatch open. I throw her in the car. I close the back hatch. She's half asleep. And, and I said the first thing that came to my mind. I said, yeah, I've got something for you guys. Hang on. And so I jumped in the car, locked the door, threw it in reverse, and they were, st they were still standing behind my car. Now, again, you can judge me for not being very Christian, but I did have something for them. I had a bumper. I wanted them out of the way. I didn't want them to hurt my little girl. Thankfully, they moved out of the way, and I sped off. But I wasn't going to try to engage those guys because I'm a, I'm a wimp, right? So the smartest way I could fight in that occasion was to run. And that's the way it is in the Christian life. God calls us to run from areas where we are tempted. Don't slow down. Don't flirt with temptation. If you've fallen in areas over and over again in the past, don't think you're strong enough to get close to it in the future. Run from bad influences. Number two, how can I resist the urge to give up? Run toward godly influences. Run toward godly influences. Verse 11, he continues this thought. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Over and over again in the Bible, there's this back and forth about fleeing certain things and then pursuing certain things. He says, put off certain things and put on certain things. Romans 12, 21 says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. If we replace bad things from our lives and don't replace them with good things, if we remove but don't replace them with good things, there's a vacuum that's left. Running back Kennedy McCoy, when he's crossing the line of scrimmage, has got to hit the line of scrimmage with more force than it's hitting him if he's going to gain any yardage. And so God calls us to pursue, relentlessly pursue, go after good things. Now, he's going to give us a list of six things that we can pursue. There's more than six, but he just gives us six as an example. He says, go after righteousness in verse 11, which is personal integrity, upright character. Who we are in public should match who we are in private. He says, go after godliness, go after good conduct, good friends, good habits, good choices. Pursue faith, better translated, pursue faithfulness, pursue reliability, pursue dependability. In verse 11, he says, pursue love, the choice to sacrifice for God and others. Pursue endurance, literally means to remain under the weight. It means to be patient, to persevere, get this, 
to stick it out when times get tough. I believe there's somebody here this morning, and this is just for you. The times are getting tough, and you're feeling the weight on your shoulders, and it's just going to be so easy to tap out and push the easy button and say, well, God doesn't want me to be under this. It's very possible that God does. I'm not the Lord, but this word for patience means to bear up under the weight and don't quit. Gentleness, in verse 11, means meekness. It's strength under control. Think of a Clydesdale, powerful horse, but man, they can be, have the strength under control. Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. That's what the Bible says. And yet God used Moses to lead two million plus people out of the desert. Moses was the meekest man. Think, think of, for those of you who may be used to watch, think of Andy Griffith, not Barney Fife, right? God calls us to have gentleness, meekness, strength under control control. If you're a Christian who knows a lot of the Bible, just because you know a lot of the Bible doesn't give you the right to be a Bible machine gun. In other words, just because you can rattle off facts and you can confuse people and you can just heap on them all sorts of guilt or even just truth, God says without gentleness, it'll fall on deaf ears. Pursue good influences. There's a third way that we can resist the urge to give up, and that is in verse 12. We can fight with God's word. Fight with or using God's word. Verse 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Literally, it's keep agonizing the good agony. The word is agonize. Keep agonizing the good agony. The word was used in military or, or athletic contests. It's the same word used in 2 Timothy at the end of Paul's life when he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. All of us today are in some kind of fight. We all are. John says we're always at least fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. In other words, the world, not the, the planet, not the creation, but the world, the system of evil that Satan is currently brewing up. This world is against you. It does not like you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not a friend of the world. It is after you. The world is after you. Your flesh is after you. We don't even need the devil to tempt us with sin. Our flesh is strong enough on its own to do a very good job. Your flesh is after you. My flesh is after me. It still bears the marks of sin that we've inherited from our father Adam and our mother Eve. The world, the flesh, but there's also the devil. Ephesians 6.12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This morning, I believe somebody's marriage is under attack. Maybe the Lord, or maybe the, the Lord is encouraging you and to wake up because your children are under attack. Maybe your purity is under attack. Satan has made sure of it that this relationship continues to come back in your life to tempt you to make choices that you know you'll regret. You're under attack. Maybe your God is, or Satan is using your anxiety to bring you under attack this morning. 
He's using some sort of discouragement, some type of failed goal, some word that somebody said to you, whatever it is. He says, fight the good fight of faith. How do we fight this fight? And the answer is in the last part of that phrase, the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. If you're taking notes, anytime you see the words the faith together, about 99%, there's an arbitrary number, but like I can only think of two instances in all the Bible where it's not the case. Most of the time, when you see the words the faith together, it's referring to the body of Christian doctrine found in God's word. So here in this instance, he's not saying fight by having faith, but instead he's saying fight by using the faith. Jude 3 says, earnestly contend for the faith. Here at Bible Center, we try to do everything possible to put the faith at your fingertips. Ultimately, we want you to have a Bible. If you read the Bible and you pray and you walk with Jesus, that is exciting to us. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles that you can grab on your way out at both of the doors. Feel free to grab them. They're brand new. They're there just for you. I want you to have a Bible. If you've got a phone, you've got, you can have the free Bible app. There's an app for kids and an app for adults. It's great. I use it all the time. We've got, of course, Sunday morning sermons. We've got core classes. All of our core classes with Pastor Mike are on our website. The top of our website and the bottom of our website is our YouTube link. We've got Right Now Media. We've got study guides and Bible guides. We want to do everything in our power to equip you to be people of the faith. But we can only put so much steak on your plate. It's at some point, it's up to you to eat it. Let me encourage you, whatever works for you, whatever resource works for you, dive into God's word. Be your man or woman of the word and grow in the faith. How else can we resist the urge to give up? Number four, focus on eternity. Focus on eternity. Verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of the faith Take hold of the eternal life. Number four, focus on eternity. When he says take hold of eternal life, let me tell you what he's, what he's not saying. He's not telling Timothy to, to put his faith in Jesus for the first time and receive eternal life. That's not what he's saying. Uh, the idea here is to take hold of something that's already there or to take full advantage of of something you already possess. I think of it like in terms of the engine of a car. So we went out to California about two years ago, a little less than two years ago, to recruit Pastor John to be our executive pastor. John had grown up here at Bible Center. Many of you had, had loved him and his family after his father died. He went to Bible Center school. Uh, some of you taught him how to drive. I think a couple of you even gave him the birds and the bees talk, which is pretty funny to hear about. Uh, and, and so you, you loved John, and we wanted to bring him back as our executive pastor. He'd been on staff for about five years just outside of L.A. with Pastor Sean Thornton. So I was in a deacon's meeting, and they asked me, who do you want to get as the executive pastor? I said, I want to get Pastor John. And they said, well, go get him. Whatever it takes, go get him. Take your wife, have dinner with his wife, get out to California, invite them to come, tell them how living in Charleston, West Virginia is so much better than living in Malibu, California. Do whatever it takes to get him here. And so sure enough, we got tickets, we flew out, 
to um, California, met with them. And when we landed at LAX, you know, we were going to get a rental car. I'd already reserved, you know, a Camry or something. You know, it's going to be nice. And the guy behind the counter told me for like seven or eight bucks more, I could get this car, right? It was a really hard decision, okay? I prayed about it. I thought about it. Finally, I said, okay, seven or eight dollars more a day. I'll, I'll take that car. We were only out there for like three days. Uh, but we got a Mustang GT. And we were going to get to ride around really suffering trying to recruit Pastor John. Like 430-some horsepower. Um, I'm used to driving a four-cylinder. I sold my truck a, couple, a year or so ago. I'm driving around a four-cylinder right now. Eventually, it's going to be Katie's car. But there's a whole lot different between my Ford Focus and that, okay? There's a whole lot of difference. And so we're pulling out on the interstate, coming out of LAX. We just grabbed a burger from In-N-Out Burger. And I'm, I'm hitting the gas, but I'm not really hitting the gas, right? And if you're going to try to pull out on the freeway, there's like, what, 100 lanes of traffic. If you're going to try to pull out, you've got to pull out fast. And so finally I realized I'm not really using this car to its full potential. And that's a shame. Every car should be used to its full potential. And so I laid into the, laid into the gas pedal, and I'm telling you, it was a lot of fun, right? I had all this power at my disposal, but I didn't take advantage of it until later. I don't want you to be a Christian who has all the power at your disposal but doesn't take advantage of it until later. This is how it typically happens. Satan will tell you there's no hope. Satan will tempt you and say, you don't have this power within you. Or there's no hope for this. Go ahead and give up. Go ahead and quit. That's what the devil will tell you. But God has called me this morning to tell you there is hope. You're not going to one day get eternal life when you get to heaven, but if you're a Christian, you already have eternal life, John 17, 1 through 3. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, there is hope for your life. You don't have to quit. You don't have to give up. You matter to God, and you matter to us. Why or how can I resist the urge to give up? Focus on eternity. Never, never, never give up. Quickly, why can I? Why can I keep on keeping on? These move quickly. Why can I keep on keeping on? The why is important. In the next couple of verses, he's going to give us the why. One of my favorite, unfortunately, he was an atheist, Frederick Nietzsche, said, He who has a why to live can bear with almost any how. Timothy needed a why. He wanted to give up because of the opposition he was facing in Ephesus. They looked down on Timothy for being young. They there was a group that continually created controversy and speculation to get the church off mission. Timothy wanted to win Ephesus for Jesus, but a couple of them wanted to argue about peripheral issues and opinions and creating all sorts of sideway energy. You can imagine Timothy sending a note to Paul or calling Paul if they had phones, which they didn't. You can picture him saying, why keep going? Why not give up? I want to give up. I want to quit. Some of these folks are affecting me physically. My stomach is upset. I can't eat. I can't sleep. Why not quit? And it's in that context that Paul writes the next couple verses. He says, I want to tell you why you can't quit. First of all, why you can't quit is because God called me by name. 
God has called you. He called me by name. Verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you are called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The idea of calling here is that effectual calling of God. In other words, God knew your name before you knew his name. The sheep never seek the shepherd first. The shepherd seek the sheep. And I don't understand how all of it works, but I love the illustration that one pastor gave. He says, when you get to heaven, you're going to walk through the gates, and over, over top of the outside of the gate, it's going to say, whosoever will. But once you walk through the gate and you turn around and look back, it's going to say, chosen before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1. All that to say it should motivate you that God came looking for you. Do you remember the day when you first put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Remember when you confess Christ. Next Sunday, we've got like five or six or seven people going to confess Christ in the baptistry. They've already put their faith in Christ, but they're going to go public. If you want to be baptized, I'll be out in the gathering space. See me after the service. But he says, remember when you first went public with your faith. Let that motivate you. Number two, why can I keep on keeping on? Because I, I waver, but Jesus never does. I waver, but Jesus never does. Verse 13. In the sight of God, he says who gives life to everything. And of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you. Now in verse 13, we wade into the deep end of the pool just for a second. And I'm going to ask you to stay with me. If I were putting together four reasons that you shouldn't quit, I might put together four trite surface reasons. Hey, don't quit because of this. Don't quit because of that. I'd like to think that what I said would be true. But these four reasons come directly from the Scriptures. And so you can see how it's a good idea that God wrote the Bible and not us. And here, his second reason that he gives is this idea that Jesus maintained his integrity. Jesus didn't waver. Jesus wasn't a coward. Before Pilate, Jesus confessed a good confession. Jesus didn't back down. And so what he tells Timothy is the reason that you don't have to back down is because Jesus didn't back down. I would encourage you to read it in your devotions this week. You can read it in Matthew chapter 27 or John 17. But Pilate, the ruler in that part of Israel, he's the Roman ruler, he said, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus simply replied, It is as you say. In other words, yes, I am the king of the Jews. Jesus was pointing back to an Old Testament passage claiming to be God himself. There's two ways to look at this. One way is you could say, well, Paul was telling Timothy, Jesus was your good example, so go do well like Jesus. In other words, Jesus was courageous. Timothy, you be courageous. That's partly true. But there's something much deeper that I really want you to get, and it's this. More so, he wasn't telling Timothy, Jesus is this, so you be this.
But he was telling Timothy, Jesus was this because you're not this. In other words, Timothy, you've wavered. You've already wavered. Timothy, you've already been a coward at times. Timothy, you've already rejected Jesus in some part of your life. So Timothy, your credentials aren't based on your righteousness, but your credentials are based upon the fact that Jesus never wavered. I'll ask you the question, how many of you have sinned since you've been a Christian? Anybody sinned since they put their faith in Jesus? Two or three of you? Good. Yeah, we all have, right? So I could get up here and say, hey, don't waver, don't be coward, don't quit, because Jesus didn't quit, and that would be true. But how much better is it for me to say, hey, all of us have already wavered. All of us have already made mistakes, but there's somebody who never did. And so instead of basing your life on your righteousness, you base your life on his. And you can say, you know what? I'm not worthy. You know what? I am broken. You know what? I have made mistakes. You know what? I am not perfect, but I serve a Savior who is. And that's why I can have confidence in the Christian life, because of him. You can picture young Pastor Timothy getting this this wind in his sails. It doesn't matter that I'm broken. What matters is that God isn't. Number three, why can I keep moving on? Because Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Verse 14, keep this command, he says, without spot or blame. It is important for Timothy to live a spotless or blameless life, to seek holiness, to be an example. That's required. That's a given. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word appearing is from where we get our word epiphany. It's this glorious appearance of Jesus. One day Jesus, who ascended back into heaven and stepped into the heavenly realm, is going to step back into the earthly realm. Jesus is coming again. Paul, when is it going to happen? He doesn't say. In verse 13 and 14, or 15, he says, it's up to God. But one day it's going to happen. The fourth and final motivation, the last reason to keep on keeping on is in verse 15 and 16. I've summarized it this way. God controls all things. God controls all things. Look with me in verse 15 and 16. We're going to go put them up on the screen. He says, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed, stop there for a moment, that means happy. God is in and of himself perfectly contained, joyful. God hates sin, yes. God is 100% wrath, yes. But God is also 100% joy. God is happy. He's the blessed and only ruler, which means he's the sovereign ruler. Caesar isn't the sovereign ruler. Jesus is the sovereign ruler. God the Father is the sovereign ruler. God the Father is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, which means God doesn't die. The emperor dies. One day Donald Trump will die, but God never dies. Who lives in unapproachable light. Let's go to the next slide. Whom no one has seen or can see to him, Timothy, to him, Christian at Bible Center, be honor and might 
forever and ever. So here you can almost imagine as Timothy reads this letter, and all of a sudden he begins to look up and realize that death doesn't have the final say, that cancer doesn't have the final say, that temptation doesn't have the final say, but that God has the final say. And that gave him the confidence not to quit. I want to encourage you to never, never, never give up in this fight of faith, ever. We heard from the Apostle Paul. We've heard from Winston Churchill. But I want to finish you now listening to Jimmy Valvano. If you've never heard of Jimmy Valvano, if you weren't around, I'm thinking of the early 90s. He was the head coach of the NC State men's basketball team. And he was diagnosed with cancer. And in 1993, some of us remember his speech on ESPN, the ESPY Awards. I've clipped just a couple of minutes of his speech. Listen to these words and think about how it could apply to your own life. Time is very precious to me. I don't know how much I have left, and I have some things that I would like to say. There are three things we all should do every day. We do this every day of our life. You're going to have, what a wonderful, number one is laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is think. You should spend some time in thought. And number three is you should have your emotions moved to tears. Could be happiness or joy. But think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. Every day I am reminded that our life's journey is really about the people who touch us. As of Sunday, I didn't even know if I'd make it here. I couldn't fight, but doctors and nurses could. The people that I love, my friends and family, they could fight. Through it all, I learned that strength, true strength, isn't when you face down life's challenges on your own. It's when you take them on by accepting the help, faith, and love of others and knowing you are lucky to have those. My beloved bride, Stacy, in the darkest of moments, we embraced and we prayed. Please, don't leave me, she pleaded. We can fight this together. Listen to what Jim Valvano said 21 years ago. The most poignant seven words ever uttered in any speech anywhere. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. I can't ever give up because I can't leave my daughters. Coach Valvano didn't. So to be honored with this, I now have a responsibility to also not ever give up. Whatever I might have imagined, a terminal diagnosis would do to my spirit, it summoned quite the opposite, the greatest appreciation for life itself. So I will never give up. I will live my life full of love and full of fun. It's the only way I know how. Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind. It cannot touch my heart. 
and it cannot touch my soul. And those three things are going to carry on forever. I thank you, and God bless you all. Whatever you came in with today, whatever burden you brought, whatever heartache you brought with you, whatever temptation was on your heart, never, never, never give up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. And Lord, whoever you had this message for, I pray that you will, yes, inspire them, but this week I pray that you would remind them to run away from bad influences, to run toward good influences. God, remind them to fight the good fight of faith and to take hold of eternal life, to remember they already have it. If their faith is in you, they already have it. I pray they would take full advantage of it. Lord, we all need a why sometimes. We get beat down by the world, the flesh and the devil. We need a why. Lord, remind us this week. Remind us of our why. Help us to remember that we are called. You, you, you called us. You know our name. Lord, remind us of Jesus' courage, Jesus' commitment. Yes, we want to model that, but we've all broken that. So help us to rely on his commitment, his righteousness, his perfect life, not our own. Father, I pray you will remind us that Jesus is coming again and then help us to live for the sovereign Lord who controls all things. Lord, this isn't just church time, but I believe this is preparing us for a week of wartime. And I pray we would see it just like that to go out and never give up with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I invite you to do that. Become a follower of Christ. In a moment, the doors are going to open up back on my left, on your right. There's a prayer room available where there's men and women who would love to take a Bible and show you what it means to be a Christian. You can just slip out whenever you want. When we sing, take the offering, or when you slip out right now, they'd love to show you what it means to be a follower of Christ. But Christian, let me invite you to take a second. Ask the Lord to give you a why for the week. What why do you need not to quit? Take a moment, let him give you that why, and then we'll pray. Our Father, revive our hearts with the truths that we've heard this morning. Make us a people who are courageous for the gospel because we serve a Savior who is courageously in love with us. In Jesus' name, amen.